everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. If somebody were to ask, who is the worst sinner in human history? I think a lot of people would say Hitler. Some might say Stalin, who supposedly killed millions more than even Hitler. Some might say Judas, because of what he did to the Lord. But if you were to ask the question, what one sin caused more damage to the human race than any other? I think the answer is pretty easy. Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve ate that fruit, they caused all the war, destruction, disease, and damnation that has invaded our planet. What I want to do on this program is to look at the most devastating sin ever committed and then look at Satan's bag of tricks on how he got them to do it. <laughs> so would you please take out your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of mankind, and let's see Satan's bag of tricks. Let's pray first. Father, we pray for anyone watching the program right now who is being attacked by the devil, that you will open our eyes to see how we can overcome his tricks in our lives. God, speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Genesis chapter 3. Let's learn about Satan's nature. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. The word subtle there can be translated sly, crafty, clever. So here's the first lesson. The devil is sneaky. You know, I, I had a guy in my church say, Pastor Brock, years ago when my wife and I were, were engaged, we go to another Lutheran church, and we said to the pastor, well, pastor, before you marry us, you probably should know we're living together. The Lutheran pastor said, probably the best thing you can do before marriage to make sure you're compatible. And I heard that and I thought, isn't the devil sneaky? The devil has people wearing collars, calling themselves pastors and bishops who are promoting premarital sex. Isn't the devil sneaky? That's the first lesson we learn. Uh, look at more about the nature of Satan in verse 2. The serpent was more subtle than any beast that the Lord God had made. So here's the question. Where did the devil come from? Here's the answer. God. God made the devil. Christians are what is called eternal monists. Mon meaning one. Christians believe only one is eternal. That's God. There are other religions that are eternal dualists, meaning two, that both God and the devil are eternal. Both good and evil are eternal. But Christians teach, no, only God's eternal. Everything else is created. <clears throat> so ultimately, Satan was created by God. Now, some people teach that the devil was created as a good angel and then he fell. And it does talk about fallen angels in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, and Jude, verse 6. And so the, the theory is 
that Satan and the angels were made good and then some of the angels fell and became the devil and the demons. I think that's a good theory, but the truth is the Bible never clearly teaches that. <laughs> some people think Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are talking about how the devil fell and became the devil, but look carefully at those two chapters. They're talking about the king of Tyre, they're talking about the king of Babylon, they're not talking about the devil. So. Where did the devil come from? Well, ultimately God created everything. How did the devil become the devil? The Bible never clearly says. Now, let's spend some time looking at Satan's bag of tricks, what he pulled on Adam and Eve. Look at verse one again. And the devil said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? I want you to notice something. God never said anything like that. God said you can eat out of all the trees in the garden except for one. So Satan's exaggerating here. So here's the first trick of the devil. Number one, Satan confuses you about what God's word says. So there's a man that doesn't like our TV show and he writes me an email, Pastor Brock, I'm gay. God made me gay and you're just totally wrong, etc., etc." And you could tell he goes to a church and my guess is he's got a liberal pastor in his church telling him that nothing's wrong with homosexual behavior. And he's, this man is totally confused about God's word. Listen, if you get one thing out of my sermon today, get this. Read your Bible daily yourself. Just because somebody wears a collar does not mean they're from God. Don't just say, well, my pastor says it, so it's got to be true because he's been to seminary. No, the devil has his agents all over the church. Read the Bible for yourself because the first trick of the devil is to confuse you about what the Bible really says. Next trick of the devil, verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. Here's the next step. Satan lies. <laughs> he just tells a lie here. And, and Jesus called the devil the father of lies. I had a teenager ask me, but Pastor Brock, God said when they eat the fruit, they're gonna die. But they didn't die that day. So what's going on? That's a smart question. And I said to him, they did die that day. They died spiritually. The physical death would follow later, but they died when they ate that fruit. So the devil's lying here. And, and his lie is, you'll become just as smart of God as God if you eat the fruit. If the opposite is true, you're not gonna become like God, you're gonna become like the devil. So the devil is lying. Here's the next trick of the devil, verse five. For God knows, Eve, that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the next trick of the devil. Satan gets you to doubt God's love. You know, Eve, God doesn't love you. He's trying to keep all, hoard all of his knowledge to himself. If he loved you, he'd let you eat off of that tree so you could be just as smart as he is. And, and think it through. Whenever you sin, isn't it because somewhere you're believing God's way is not what's best for me. God doesn't have my best at heart. And that's what Satan does. He gets you to doubt God's love. Next trick of the devil is verse four. 
again, he says in verse 4, you're not going to die. Then he says in verse 5, you'll become as smart as God. Next trick of the devil. Satan minimizes sin's penalty. You won't die. And he maximizes sin's advantage. You'll be smart as God. When you're being tempted to sin, what the devil does, he gets you to forget how awful sin is. And he gets you to maximize the supposed benefit of sin. Next trick. He says in verse 5, you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So here's the next step. Satan mixes truth with the lie. There is some truth in verse 5. They will know the difference between good and evil after they sin. But again, the lie is that won't make them like God. That'll make them like the devil. Um, when you were little, maybe, your mom might take some sugar and mix it in with foul-tasting medicine to get you to swallow the medicine? <laughs> well, that's what Satan does. Satan is putting some truth in this lie to get them to swallow the lie. The cults do this. So I got a phone call. Pastor Brock, the Jehovah's Witness is coming over again, and would you come be and be with me here and, and, and help, help me with this? And, and I said, okay. And, and we went at it for about two hours. And this was a smart Jehovah's Witness. And he, not everything he said was false. Some of the stuff he said was true. But through it all was this lie mixed in that Jesus is the brother of the devil and that Jesus is the archangel Michael and that Jesus is a creation. He's a creature. He's not eternal God with the Father. I mean, there was a lie going through the whole thing. But some of the stuff he said was true. It's like the Mormons. People say, oh, the Mormons. They're so family-centered. They're so moral. Okay, what they teach about Jesus is wrong, but other than that, they're so good. Now, wait a minute. That's like saying, Mrs. Lincoln, other than that, how did you like the play? What they are doing with Jesus is horrible. Yes, they teach some truth, but it's a cult. Then verse 6, next trick of the devil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and she ate. Here's the next lesson. Satan works in progressive little steps. Maybe, you know, Satan normally doesn't come up and say, eat it. He just says things like, well, Eve, just look at it. Isn't it desirable? Isn't that a pretty fruit? And, and Eve, it'll make you smart. And Eve, just maybe touch it. And Eve, maybe put it in your hand. And well, now that it's in your hand, you might as well eat it. See, Satan works in progressive little steps. I heard a speaker on sexual addiction. And he said, you need to know what your cycle is if you're a sex addict. And there's maybe five or six steps. And then when you get to step, we'll say six, is when you sin. And the, the, the man's point was, if you're going to have victory over sin, you've got to stop in cycle step one or two, because if you get to five or six, it's over. Do you know what your cycle is? Do you know the progressive little steps that the devil uses on you? Our job is to stop him at step one or two, not at step six. I heard of a man who walks two blocks out of his way to work every day so that he won't walk past the porno store. That's a guy stepping, stopping the devil at step one. Let us look now at verse six. And Eve took of its fruit and ate, and she gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Here's the next trick of the devil. Satan gets you to involve others. 
A lot of people get drunk alone, but I think a lot of people get drunk in a group because if everybody's doing this, I'm not feeling so guilty. So Eve wants to involve Adam, have him eat it too, so she doesn't feel so guilty. Look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Next trek of the devil, Satan gets you to hide from God. You know why a lot of people don't go to church? They're hiding. And if I go to church, I'm going to have to deal with my sin. I'm going to have to deal with God. I don't want to do that, so I'll stay at home and hide. Satan's goal when you sin is to get you to hide from God. Instead, run to God for forgiveness. All right, one more step in the devil's tricks here. Verse 11. And God said, Who told you, Adam, that you were naked? Have you eaten from that tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, The woman whom you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Next step of the devil, Satan gets you to blame others. Adam, did you do this? Well, no, it's, it's her fault. Actually, it's your fault. God, you made her. Well, Eve, did you do this? Well, it's not my fault. It's the snake's fault. And this is called victim mentality, where the reason you're a mess is everybody else's fault. This is all over our culture. And if you're doing something wrong, not my fault. It's my parents. It's my genetics. It's my environment. So that the homosexual man that wrote me the email, God made me gay. And I thought, well, that's convenient. Blame God. And he said, I didn't choose to have these homosexual feelings. I wrote him back, and, I, and I've got this struggle, too. If you've watched my show, I say no to homosexuality, but it, it's a struggle for me. And I wrote him back. I said, I believe you. Most of us don't choose our temptations in life but we do choose what to do with them, and you do not have to engage in homosexual behavior. Christian, let's do this. Let's stop blaming everybody else in our genetics for our sin, and let's take responsibility for our own behavior. All right, those are Satan's bag of tricks. They sin. Now let's, find, let's close the sermon by asking the question, what is God's response when we sin? Well, God responds with three things. Look at verse 9. It said that God said, Adam, where are you? The first response of God when we sin is God seeks you out. When you sin, God wants you back. He wants to forgive you. So when you sin, don't run from God. Run to God and ask for forgiveness. And then the second response of God to sin is verse 14. 
And the Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity, hatred, between you and the woman, between your seed, Satan, and her seed, uh, Eve's seed. And he, mankind, will bruise you on the heel, and you, devil, will bruise him on the heel, or bruise him on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Here's the next response to to sin. First of all, God comes looking for you, but secondly, there is judgment. Often there is a discipline, a price tag to sin, and the price tag on the devil is from now on, snake, you're going to go on your belly, and men will crush your feet when they step on you. And then there's judgment for the woman. Look at verse 16. To the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. In other words, Eve's judgment is you're going to have pain now in childbirth. I heard somebody say, having a baby is like taking your lip and pulling it over the back of your head. Ouch! It's called the curse that Eve got when she sinned. When I was a little boy and my older sister was upstairs in bed sick, I'd say, Mom, what's wrong with her, Than? Tommy? She's got the curse. <laughs> and my mom called the menstrual period the curse. Well, she kind of gets it from this story here. And then God judges the man. Look at verse 17. Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life, both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you. And you shall eat the plants in the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. To the ground you shall return, because from it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. And, and the judgment on Adam, on the man, is now you're going to have to work real hard instead of having it easy. So when we sin, God, God seeks us out. There may be a judgment or a discipline on that behavior, but then the third thing happens. Look at what happens in verse 21. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and Eve and clothed them. God seeks you out. There may be a discipline, but then the third thing God does is called grace. He still loves Adam and Eve. He makes them clothing. And, and follow this. If you sin, God is going to seek you out. Let him, let him come to you and forgive you. Number two, there may be a discipline for what you've done, but then number three, if you believe in Christ, there's always grace, and he clothes you. And you know what he clothes us, us Christians in? He clothes us in the imputed righteousness of Christ, meaning the 33 years of perfect obedience that Jesus lived on earth. When I sin, that righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. I put on the righteousness of Christ, and God forgives my sin, not because I deserve it, but because of Christ's righteousness that God in his grace has provided. And one last point on grace. Some people think Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is the first prophecy of Christ, that Satan, one descendant of Eve, is going to crush you on the head, meaning... Jesus will be born of the Virgin Mary, and Satan, Jesus, will die for the sins of mankind, rise from the dead, and crush you on the head. In other words, there's going to be grace to overcome what Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve did for all of those who believe in Christ. Amen.
Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have, we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, in light of what your sermon was today is, I would like to ask you, do you believe in a literal Adam and Eve? I do, because Jesus talked about Adam and Eve as real people. The Apostle Paul talked about Adam and Eve as real people. The book of Genesis talks about them not as metaphors or symbols, talks about them as real people. It's troubling, Jackie. They asked a, a number of Protestant pastors how many of them believed in a literal devil. It's sad how many pastors think it's a symbolic thing or a metaphorical thing. No, there's a, there was a real Adam and Eve or Jesus and the Apostle Paul were wrong. So that's, that's troubling to me. Okay. So how many years ago did God actually create Adam and Eve? We don't know. Now, I think if you've got the Schofield Bible, if I remember right, I could be wrong, but I think he, was it 4,000 or 6,000 B.C. when he says that Adam and Eve were created? You know, I, I'm not sure it was him, but I think it was. But when somebody says, yes, mankind was created in 6,000 B.C., they don't know that. <laughs> There's nothing in the Bible that gives us a date for this. So we just need to leave the things that are in mystery in mystery and not claim we know things that we don't know. Is that why some people come up with these false teachings is because they don't know? Right. I get nervous when I see preachers on TV telling you how the second coming is going to happen exactly 12 years from this and then you they don't know that. Mm -hmm. We need to read the Bible, know what, what Revelation says, but a lot of it's not going to become clear till the end. So. so what exactly is original sin then? All right, original sin is the teaching of the Christian church, Catholics, Lutherans, Methodists, Baptists, etc., that we don't become sinful at age seven. We're born with sin. And Jackie, when you raised your children, you notice you didn't have to teach them how to be bad. You did have to teach them how to be good. <laughs> and you can see sinfulness even in little children. That's because, according to Romans chapter 5, when Adam and Eve sinned, they infected the whole human race. Original sin means we're born with it. Okay. What does it mean when they call Jesus the new Adam? Yeah. Or the word Adam means man. So a great passage of scripture that I encourage people to read, read Romans chapter 5. And Paul talks about the old Adam, the original Adam, and how he messed us up. And then Paul talks about the new man, Jesus Christ, who undoes to us what Adam did to us. And in one, the old Adam got us all condemned. The new Adam gets us all saved. The old Adam put us under condemnation. The new Adam brings us righteousness and eternal life. So it's kind of a great passage. Okay. What does a person do to help them overcome temptation? Mm-hmm. We're all tempted. Right. But. And you know, I don't think temptation stops until you're dead. I don't think a day will come when you finally don't have any temptations anymore. I think the devil goes after us right till the day we die. And let me tell you what I find helpful. Uh, I have an accountability partner, somebody I talk with regularly who knows my s struggles and he holds me accountable. I read my Bible daily. I have prayer time daily. I regularly go to church. Um, those are some of the things that uh, an accountability partner, a good church, Bible reading, uh, a worship uh, in a church, um, prayer, of course. Those are some things that help. You won't be perfect till heaven, but that'll put a dent in it. 
Okay, I guess my next question is, is the devil in hell right now? No, he's not. Uh, he still is roaming? The Bible says Satan is roaming about this earth, going to and fro, seeking someone whom he may devour. So the devil's on earth right now. He won't be in hell until the last day. That's when he's thrown into the lake of fire. When he does return to hell, will the devil rule in hell yeah. until the end of time? If or? You know, if you watch the Bugs Bunny cartoons, the devil's in hell ruling over all the demons. Well, I don't think the devil will have highest place in hell. I think he'll have the lowest place in hell. I don't think the devil will rule anything. He will be tormented day and night forever and ever, it says in the book of Revelation. Okay, Tom, we've got about two and a half minutes or so left in here uh, on the show, and I've got a couple of other questions. Okay. So maybe These we are could... probably sent in by viewers. Yeah, so. okay. There's a person that says they don't see any evidence in the New Testament that Jesus is God. So where do you get that from? Okay. Uh, like we've said on prior programs, it's easy to remember. Hebrews chapter 1, John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. Those are three of the chapters that teach that Jesus is God. Another big one, when Jehovah's Witnesses come to my door, uh, G the Bible never says Jesus is God, and I point those verses out. But then Thomas, after the resurrection, says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And I say to the Jehovah's Witnesses, look, Jesus doesn't correct him and say, don't, don't lie, that's not who I am. He says you should have believed it without seeing it. So th there's a number of places, those are some. Okay. You can go to our website, pastorstudy.org, two S's. I've got a whole article there on does the Bible teach the Trinity, one God and three persons, and that Jesus is God. Pastorstudy, two S's.org, look for the Is the Trinity Biblical article. Okay, but wasn't the Bible written through many centuries? And I guess the second part of that question is why did certain books make it into the New Testament and others were. Mm -hmm deemed yep. to be her Well, the, the Old Testament was written over a longer period of time. Uh, the New Testament, Jackie, was completed by about 90, 95 AD, within 60 years of the death of Christ. So it's not like hundreds of years went by, 60 years went by, and those are the, that's the book of Revelation. Mark and James are the early books, maybe written, I think, in the 40s? That's within 10, 15 years of, of Jesus' death. So. Um, Early on, uh, the, the Bible was, was written, compiled. And why did certain books not make it into the New Testament like the Gospel of Thomas? Uh, because we don't have time. The criteria of making it in the New Testament is, does this have a connection to one of the apostles? And does it teach sound doctrine? The Gospel of Thomas is in a whole nother, you read the Gospel of Thomas, it's a weird book. It's not consistent with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So that, that's it in a nutshell. Well, I've really learned a few things today, so I hope our viewers have too. We want to thank you for being with us this week. We pray that God will be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings, and that we'll be together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? you may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by The Pastor Study, 
Would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week. <music>